scripture today comes from Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. God bless you all this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. I do not have any common sense at all. I'm, I'm, I'm not a very smart guy. So I want to thank our, I'm not sure what kind of committee we are. We're the Christmas committee maybe? I don't know. But set up and tear down committee. Anyway, we were looking for a vacuum cleaner. We couldn't find a vacuum cleaner. And I said, it's nowhere down here. So, nope, you know, I didn't look in all the right places because one door said this. Do not open. I didn't open the door. I was afraid the stewards would know that a door opened, which is not supposed to be open through their fancy Wi-Fi stuff, and so I thought, I better not open this door. But another person who's smarter than me opened the forbidden door and got the fruit of the vacuum cleaner, and we swept the floor. So I'm just putting it out there. I admit it, I'm not very smart in a lot of things. So there you go. You that's, I want, that's all right. See that? I have no sense at all. But I wanted to point it out there just to lighten things up a little bit, you know. Um, <laughs> that's just part of who I am. I'm just, you're not a real smart guy, seriously. But here we go. Churches all over the world take to heart the commandment of Jesus. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. This commitment to missions has impacted not only the world, but every fabric of American society, in schools, in cities, in the countryside, in the frozen lands, in desert lands. There's no place the gospel message has not impacted whether good or bad in a sense, it's went all over the world. So important is mission work that colleges and seminaries have a whole degree based on it. It's called missiology. This kind of stuff helps pastors to either begin a mission program or grow an existing one. Yet I wonder this morning if mission work has been so successful that the need for a calling to the mission field has simply become a request for money. Now, I'm going to be going after the throat this morning, so you may not like me. Where is the unction? Where is the burning desire in the heart of a man to say, Here am I, Lord, send me. What got me asking this question was this church's board meeting with interim director Nick Bean on 2-17-22. When he mentioned that very few people are going into the ministry, it is asked, churches need pastors where they at. And he said, it ain't like the old days. In the old days, men were raised up in the church filling the call of God. And it was through the church that pastors came along. He says, it's not like that anymore. They don't come up this way. And as I began to reflect on my own pastoral positions in the past, it occurred to me, not one young person, not one, felt a call to go into ministry or to go into the mission field. We had a nice-sized youth group, hired a part-time youth pastor, 
We won some awards. I mean, I got awards at the house for a church our size saying what we'd done to give to missions. But all, in all of that, no one called to step out on faith into the mission field. Was I, was my church, were we so consumed with the work and the financial giving to missions that we missed that still small voice convicting our hearts to simply follow and believe? Now, this church here has done very well. You have it right over there on the overhead of all the things you've done for Heifer. And there's this little plaque that was over here laying down that you've been a very good giving church. Churches give and do the work. But it just got me thinking about my own life and my own ministry and what we were doing. What were we doing? Were we so consumed with everything that was going on and it's been so successful that money is what it's all about? Where is it in the heart of a man to say, Jesus Christ, use me. Jesus Christ, touch me. Jesus Christ, fill my heart. Jesus Christ, send me out. Let me do what you want us to do. Over the next several weeks leading up to Ash Wednesday, I'm going to speak on the missionary nature of God as seen in the story of creation and the deliverance of God's people out of bondage. This morning, we begin by drawing some principles from the church at Antioch that I believe they made them a missionary-minded church serving a missionary-minded God. Antioch was the third largest city in the Greco-Roman world. It was inhabited by 500,000 people, which made it a perfect launching pad for missions. Now, I had said in the past in the book of Acts when people got saved, they got saved from all different walks of life, from all different kinds of experiences, and they come and they accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But this was a place that God chose to use. Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 14, went from Antioch into the mission field. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 18, God called them from Antioch to go into the mission field. It was the church at Antioch, the Gentile church, not the church in Jerusalem, the headquarters. Meaning, it was the West Alexandria Church of the Brethren, not the District of Southern Ohio and Northern Kentucky, not the Conference of the Brethren Organization, but the Church of West Alexandria that God wants to use to be His missionary-minded people. What made the church at Antioch so special, so used that God would bless them in the fruit of their labor. I'd like to mention a few things that I've seen in them that I hope would be in our lives as a congregation. Number one, worship and prayer fueled the mission. Acts chapter 13 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This was part of their lives. They were a worshiping and praying church. They prayed with expectancy and dependency on God. Churches that impact the world exalt with passion Jesus Christ. They seek him in prayer with expectancy and dependency. Believers' life should be a life of prayer and seeking God and a life of community. All of our lives begins with prayer and should end with prayer and seeking the face of God. The Holy Spirit and the church affirmed the mission that they went on. The Bible says there he gave the word. In other words, he said, 
God spoke through the Holy Spirit and said, separate me, these two men, for the work that I've called them. He doesn't tell how he spoke to them, but they confirmed that some way God spoke to their hearts to send these two men to do the work. The church affirmed the mission. Missionaries are directed by the Holy Spirit and are sent and supported by the church. It is the church and only the church that sends out missionaries. The Apostle Paul never operated apart from his community, but was directed by the Holy Spirit, united with the church of Antioch, to go and do the work of God. Secondly, the church sent their very best on mission. Who could be better go than Paul and Barnabas? The church stepped out on faith and made a sacrifice by sending these two men who had knowledge and understanding in what was happening in people's lives when they come to Christ. They said, sure, we want you to represent us, but we want you to represent the Lord Jesus, and we're going to send you out. We're going to give the best that we have for the call of God. They gave away their best in obedience to God for the sake of others. We reflect the missionary heart of God who sent his best for us when we send out our best for him. A missionary-minded church gives the very best that it has to the glory of God for his work and for his kingdom because of what he has done in the light of the heart of his people. We never have to do it. We don't want to have to do it because we love him. We serve him and we want to follow him. And therefore, he's always going to get our best. Third, they were obedient to the call of God. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had laid the foundation on how to start a missionary work. Acts 1 and 8, most churches use this as their missionary model. They call it home missions, national missions, and foreign missions. And they look at Acts 1 and 8 and they say, this is how Jesus wanted the disciples to do it. He says what? Go in Jerusalem. Preach the word in Jerusalem to my people. The ones that I've called to come to me, start there with them. Then go to Judea. Then go to Samaria. Samaritans were Jewish people who had married Gentile people. So start at home with your own people. Go to the next people in your home. And then reach out to people who other people don't like, i.e. Samaritans. And then he said, go into all the world and preach my word. He gave them a place and a course on how to reach people for the gospel. After the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 8, the church began to spread the gospel further out. He preaches the gospel, he's killed, and some men decide, we're going to go spread this word. When Peter preached to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, the door had opened for the church of Antioch to extend the ministry to them. In other words, start here in Jerusalem with my people, and then you're going to spread it out. Stephen dies, it gets spread it out further. Peter is the first one who God showed to reach the Gentiles when he had his dream. God called him to go to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, and he said, I don't know why I'm here speaking to you. You're not a covenant person, but God has showed me in a dream that who he wants to save is none of my business, so I'm here. After Peter done that, the gospel went into all the world. This obedience to the call of Jesus call and what God wanted them to do, the call of Barnabas and Paul led to a blessing on the church everywhere that it set out to minister. Everywhere the church went from that point, God blessed. 
Now, I don't want you to think God just blessed numbers in your local congregation or God blessed your money, though he does is that. What God blessed was people being saved everywhere. People coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what church, no matter where they come from. The point was he blessed his word and he blessed his message and he did bless his people. But that ain't why they done it. They didn't do it to get a blessing. They did it out of love and concern because of what Christ done for them. And everywhere it went, God blessed it. But fourthly, the church was humble. Uh, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus, Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Oh, I make no sense, Brian. What I want to point out is that their names were not known like the apostles. They didn't say Paul, Barnabas, Stephen. They said men from these places. Well, if you just call me man and I feel like I'm somebody important, my name is Brian and I want you to call me Brian. These guys didn't say, no, my name is Billy Bob Joe. I've given $45,000 to the church. Recognize me. They said, I'm a servant. You don't have to name me. I just want to be a nobody for his honor and for his glory. Did not we know all the apostles and disciples? Did not we know the 12th one who became the 12th disciple? But nobody knew these men. They were just simply humble guys doing the work of God. Their names were not known as the apostles or those highlighted in the book of Acts. Yet their impact was just as great. Simply men and women who accepted Jesus Christ and wanted everyone to know what he had done for them. These believers were selfless, generous, and together in their dedication. Again, in Acts chapter 11. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Paul. God had delivered them from their calamity. And they simply wanted to return that favor to others like them. What had happened when a prophet had come and says, there's going to be dearth in Jerusalem. There's going to be calamity coming to this land. The church in Antioch heard that. These were their brothers and sisters in the Lord who were hurting, who was going to go through a bad time. They heard what these prophets had said, and they said, no, that's not going to happen to our people, the people of God. So they said, here, Paul and Barnabas, Take this money and go help the people of God do what needs to be done. They did it out of a dedicated heart to God. And they did it simply because God had touched their lives and God had changed them. Their church was accountable to one another. They encouraged one another and instructed one another in the word. I realize we can't duplicate or rehearse everything the church did. But surely God can move in our hearts and our lives where we love him so much and do for him so much that we do it as a body of Christ and his spirit fills us and his spirit touches us and he causes us to move out wherever we're at telling somebody else about the goodness of God. Fifth, the church was identified. Acts eleven twenty six. 26. 
and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This name Christian originated with those outside the church, non-believers of Antioch and Rome. Verse chapter 26 of Acts. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuade me to be a Christian. It was a way to insult or mock those who came unto Christ. Almost, Paul, you want me to be like you, but I don't want none of that mess because I see what your people are going through. Now, unlike the Jewish people who called them Nazarenes, and they called the Christians Nazarenes because they did not want to fight their Christ with the Christ that the disciples were following. So they called them people of the Nazarene. Acts chapter 25. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, <laughs> a mover of sedition among all Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Either way they were called, whether they were called Christian because they wanted to mock them or made fun of them, or they were called Nazarenes because they didn't want to be identified with this group of believers. It didn't matter. Either way, the believers were completely dedicated to the Lordship of Christ and not ashamed to be identified as one, a Nazarene, or identified as a Christian because they belong to him. Now it's going to get real. Today's Christians have a difficult time identifying with Christ. You can say what you want, but I believe we would have a real hard time to say I'm a believer. Number one, society has blasted us with all kinds of names. You're not loving, you're not kind, you're not real, you're not this, you're not that. After a while, that takes a toll on you. They mock our beliefs. We believe in one God. We believe he revealed himself in Jesus Christ. We believe there's one way to heaven. We believe he's the savior of the world. We believe he changed our lives. We believe he made us new. We believe in the word of God. They mock that up and down, left and right. Then they say, keep your story to yourself. Stay within the walls of your church, but don't dare come to my workplace and tell me about Jesus. Now, we had in our meeting one day, people don't believe me, but you had to sign a piece of paper you weren't going to talk about God in the workplace. Okay, so a smart Christian figures out a way, you know. I didn't come up and say, uh, you're dying and going to hell. I never said that. I was asked. What do you believe about an issue? And you can pick out any issue you want. And you know as a believer, if you answer in the middle or answer what they perceived as the wrong way, they're coming at you. Right? Keep him within the confines of his building. Don't put a manger scene in your own church parking lot. Don't tell me about Jesus. You want to come to our facility just to mess us up and do things like that? Stay away from us. We don't want to hear what you have to say. They did it back then. Them jokers just kept on going. I like this one the best. A whole bunch of hypocrites we are. Church is full of hypocrites. You're absolutely right. And I'm glad I'm in that church. One day he will make me right. I don't know when. I don't know how. But that's what the church is for. He said, I saw brother so-and-so do this and do that. I can't tell you how many calls I got because of my boys when I pastored and they were in school. I'm sorry, son, but this is what happened. 
They would call me on my cell phone. Now, these people don't go to church, but they know me from the factory, right? You know your church, your son was cussing at school today, carrying on and stealing? I said, uh, no, but thank you for the information. I said, why are you calling me? Well, ain't you a preacher? Ain't you a pastor of the Lighthouse Church of God? I said, that depends. Do I owe you any money? <laughs> no. Then, yes, I'm the pastor. Well, how does a pastor's son act like that? I said, first of all, that's none of your business. Second of all, he's a human being, and he has to find God in Christ his own way. I can lead him and guide him, but he has to make his own decision. Now, that's what I told the lady. Probably to my downfall, when he got home, I sat him down. I said, I want you to know, you represent me, you represent the Lighthouse Church of God, and you represent the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ was last in that conversation because I was embarrassed that my son would act such a way. But you see, that's what they look at. You're just full of hypocrites. But you can't control everything. I can't even control myself sometimes. But we're doing our best to serve a risen Savior, and we know what he's done in our life, and we know how he's changed us, and believe it or not, he's kept my family together. He done it. I can tell you right now, it wasn't my will. It wasn't Amy's will. It wasn't the boy's will. It was God moving in our hearts as believers where we said we will be obedient to you. Oh, I was ripped many times at work. I told one feller, you know, I just questioning, who are you to talk to me like that? He got right there. I said, I'm nobody. But I said, if you're a believer, we're not supposed to act that way. And, of course, the next seven days, I got all my flaws pointed out. Cool. I'm accountable to one another. Am I right? But we have to admit, it is hard for us to live the life. This pounding on our lives in our beliefs, and on our churches have taken a huge effect on us, has it not? Are you not some way afraid to go say, I think this is wrong to a non-believer? Boom, there they come. It takes a toll on us. It takes a toll on our churches. Churches seem, again, not loving, not caring, all because we won't give in to what they think is right and what they want to do. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to compromise. Amy will tell you, I'm not afraid to lose any job I got. I don't care to go broke. I just don't care about those things. If I feel like I've disrepresented the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm broken in my heart forever. But things, no worries. If there is a God and he does love me, he will take care of me. I believe his word and I trust his word. This pounding, though, has a big effect on us. But the church of Antioch, we got to be like them. We must keep pressing on, relying on his grace to carry us through. Now, if you read the book of Acts, they were in prison. They got their heads cut off. They lost their jobs. They lost their families. They lost it all for the sake of Christ. And yet, they pressed on. They served. They worshiped. And they said, we are together in this. Acts eleven twenty three. 23. Who? When he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Acts 15. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, 
confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. It's no easy task being a believer of Jesus Christ. People make it easy. They make it fun. And they make it lively. But they don't tell you when you accept him, he starts working in your heart and working in your life to follow him and to serve him and to love him. And he says, I want to change this in you. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you when you go up there and say, I accepted Jesus Christ, the things that's going to come to you. What we tell you is all the fun and great things that's going to happen to you when you come to church. But following Jesus Christ is not easy when we do it with our heart. His cause are demanding. But through this tribulation, we go into his will. Worship, prayer, giving their best, serving in obedience with humbleness, and willing to be identified as Christians did bring a great blessing to the church. Acts eleven twenty one, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. They kept pressing, they kept going, they kept preaching, they kept learning, they kept growing, they kept serving, they kept loving. All because of what he done in their lives. When he does something in our lives, nothing matters but him. I didn't say we didn't hurt and didn't struggle and try to figure out where he is in it. But all we know is he changed us. These same principles have guided churches and movements throughout church history to make its mark in the lives of people all around the world. I always love it when people break off from a church. I'm not talking about district. I'm saying if seven of you got in here and says we're going to form a new church because that guy's terrible. Okay? You seven. Oh, let's say 37. Or the whole church but me and Amy. All right? And let's just say for some crazy reason that we was here before you. Whatever, whatever, whatever. And this group of people says, we're going to go start a new church. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to start fasting and praying. God touch us. God use us. You're going to catch a fire, are you not? Everybody's going to be serving. You're going to have people greeting. You're going to have people teaching. You're going to have everybody. We're excited for Jesus. We're excited for Jesus. No, we weren't excited for Jesus there. But we were excited for Jesus over here. And then everybody starts coming to this new church and they think they're doing something great. Maybe you are. But guess where all those people come from? From another church that's got the same frustrated people going to this new work that God is doing. I don't think God's in that stuff at all. That's just moving from one place to another. You know what change is? Your heart. You decided you wanted to reconnect with him because of the movement you wanted to go to. All churches, all movements do the same thing. We don't feel this is right. We're going to go here. And now, God, we're going to seek you. We're going to pray through. We're going to give everything that we got. We're going to work as hard as we can for you to bless what we are doing. And they say, look what a great work's going on here. Then the other church says, where's the work of God? Where's that fire? Where's that passion? Every church and every movement in church history, whether they split or not, no matter what they've done, they begin with worship, thanksgiving, prayer, giving their best, serving in obedience with humbleness, and willing to be identified as a believer. That's what God blesses. 
I would hope and pray that these same principles guide our church in the year 2023 as we ask God's grace on our lives to be a missionary-minded people serving a missionary-minded God. Let us pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the West Alexandria Church of the Brethren. This is a church that offers grace, hope, and peace to everyone who comes through the doors. A loving, caring, and giving church. And I pray, God, that in this year as we become even more honed in on what it is to be mission-minded, that you would touch our hearts, Lord. You would fill us with your Holy Spirit. From the time we walk through the doors of the church, we would worship and pray and seek your face and serve and do those things that please and honor you, that you would be lifted up and you would be exalted. And as we follow and serve you and as you open the doors and bless us, let us forever be thankful for the one thing that Jesus Christ changed us forever. And that, Lord, we're most grateful for. Hear this prayer now, Jesus, I ask in your name. Amen.